Chapter 3 Pillars of Purity Bhagavad Gita Quote, Behold, Arjuna, a million divine forms, with an infinite variety of color and shape. Behold the gods of the natural world, and many more wonders never revealed before. Behold the entire cosmos turning within my body, and the other things you desire to see. End quote. Bhagavad Gita Of Cause and Consequence Life is full of choices, and all choices have consequences. These consequences are either beneficial or baneful, and the outcomes of choices sometimes run contrary to our intent. At times it seems that some people effortlessly make the right choices, allowing their lives to run smoothly, while others appear to keep making the wrong choices and, in so doing, constantly bring hardship and anguish into their lives and the lives of others. Is there such a thing as a purely good choice? Where does the good in a choice lie? Is it solely in the outcome of the choice, or does it reside in the intent? The Hindu scripture known as the Bhagavad Gita approaches the central question. In so doing, it not only attempts to place us as individuals in the universal context, it also notes how our choices can have a bearing on the cosmos as a whole. Through reading the Gita, we may be able to glean some insight into how we can better understand the nature of the choices we make and come closer to clarifying meaning in our lives. The Bhagavad Gita consists of 700 verses or shlokas, songs. Shlokas form the basis of Indian epic verse and are deemed to be the highest form of verse, making the writing of the Gita something truly beautiful to read in both form and content. As Hindu scripture, the Bhagavad Gita means Song of the Lord and is one section of a far larger Hindu epic called the Mahabharata. The Maha, great Bharata story itself seems to date back to approximately the 8th or 9th centuries before Common Era. It provides the larger framework of the mythical Kurukshetra war, into which the narrative of the Bhagavad Gita fits. As far as its importance to world civilizations is concerned, the Mahabharata is deemed to be as impactful as the Bible, the Quran and Shakespeare, among others. The author of the Mahabharata is believed to be a figure known as Vyasa, which means compiler in Sanskrit. Vyasa is revered in many Hindu traditions as being the avatar of the god Vishnu. He is also believed to be one of the seven Chiranjivans, immortals that still walk among us and will remain until the end of the age of Kali Yoga. The Mahabharata contains both devotional and philosophical material. It also concerns itself with the question of the meaning of life through what is known as the Purusharthas, or objects of human pursuit. The Purusharthas can be viewed as the four pillars upon which Hindus base the goals or aims of a human life. Let us take a look at these pillars one at a time, as they will help illuminate and contextualize what we will be discussing and discovering in the Bhagavad Gita. The Tie That Binds The first pillar is known as Dharma, which comes from the root word dr, 
which means to hold or maintain. The precise meaning of dharma is difficult to pin down, as its interpretation depends largely on context. As a concept, it is utilized with variation in the other major Indian religions of Jainism, Sikhism, as well as Buddhism. What we can say about Dharma is that it is an organizing principle. It is seen as that which holds all things together, protecting us from chaos. This order is maintained by right action, holding fast to correct conduct, whether it is something as simple as talking to yourself or going about your daily affairs in solitude, you need to treat yourself correctly so as to maintain the order of things. There is an emphasis on doing what you do according to principles that bring things into alignment and in so doing enhancing the strength of all that is interconnected. Therefore, Dharma is in our rituals, customs and interactions According to the Indologist Johannes van Betenen, Dharma is that which all existing beings must accept and respect to maintain harmony and order in the world. Quote, that one is dear to me who runs not after the pleasant or away from the painful, grieves not, lusts not, but lets things come and go as they happen. End quote. Bhagavad Gita Dharma is not an action itself or even the particular result per se. It is the natural laws that make the act go smoothly to create a result that prevents chaos and discord in the world. It is a combination of powerful alignments that organize every passing moment in such a way that things do not just come crashing down. It is the thing that stops this moment from blinking right out of existence. Interestingly, though, it is not the moment in itself, or the components of the moment. That is called Rta, and can be seen as the cosmic principle that coordinates and regulates the way all of creation works. Dharma is rather the moral, social, and interactive space, that which is regulated and which keeps everything bound together. From a personal perspective, it is seen as your righteousness. In addition, when choosing that which is righteous, the individual fulfills their greater destiny as a functional component of the cosmos. Dharma, then, is the pursuit of each being's true calling. As a human, you would then need to find your calling, as it were, so that you could live in respect and harmony with all that is around you. Quote, Whenever Dharma declines and the purpose of life is forgotten, I manifest myself on the earth. I am born in every age to protect the good, to destroy evil, and to re-establish Dharma. End quote. Bhagavad Gita Waste not, want not. Our next pillar is Artha, which is all about the resources that are available to you to keep you alive. It refers to your own resource of will, your initiative. In Hinduism, the pursuit of arthas is very important. It incorporates your vocation, financial security, and economic prosperity. Artha literally translates into our word meaning, but it also has varying contextual usages. Conceptually, its overarching reference is goal-directedness. Quote, Perform work in this world, Arjuna, as a man establishes within himself, without selfish attachments, 
and alike in success and defeat, for yoga is perfect evenness of mind. End quote. Bhagavad Gita. Embracing the discipline of artha allows you to look at the essence of things, to seek the abundance in the mundane and to begin with the end in mind, that it is your duty to bring yourself to prosperity. This literally is your means of life. It is not a gluttonous acquisitiveness that must be pursued at all costs on a never-ending treadmill. Quote, you have the right to work, but never to the fruit of work. You should never engage in action for the sake of reward, nor should you long for inaction. End quote, Bhagavad Gita. The reason this is so important is that one of the central notions in Hindu philosophy is that all people should have a happy and fulfilled life. Artha is the discipline that will bring people closer to that reality. Therefore, it is not a quest for wealth, but a quest through activity that finds the value in the resources that are around and uses them to bring about a fulfilled and joyful existence. Artha is about an abundance mentality. It is a view that opens one's awareness to opportunity and is a wholesome antidote to scarcity mentality. The enemy of abundance, though, is not only scarcity. It seems that having excess also breeds blindness to abundance. What is to be treasured, say in bread, is not about having thirty loaves in your pantry, but rather the fulsome enjoyment and nutrition that can be found in one bite. Value is not inherent in things. It is derived from people's want of things. It does not even come from the need for things. Take the air we breathe, for example. Our need for it is constant, yet we value it little until we are deprived of it. As our want for it increases, so too does the amount we are willing to pay for it. Artha speaks to us in the sense that we see wealth all around us where others who are disconnected from it see only waste or worse yet, see nothing at all. Quote, With a drop of my energy, I enter the earth and support all creatures. Through the moon, the vessel of life-giving fluid, I nourish all plants. I enter breathing creatures and dwell within as the life-giving breath. I am the fire in the stomach that digests all food. End quote. Bhagavad Gita The wheel turns. The third pillar of this quaternity is karma, a term most of us are familiar with, and yet I suspect it's one that some use without fully grasping the full import of the word. In its most direct translation, karma means action or work. Karma is a concept that can be found in all major Indian belief systems such as Jainism, Hinduism, Taoism, Sikhism and Buddhism. Used in a spiritual context, it is understood as a principle of cause and effect. Although the concept of karma is closely linked to the idea of rebirth or reincarnation, it can also be understood apart from this doctrine. The underlying principles of the karmic scheme are that good deeds bring good karma and bad deeds bring bad karma or consequences. It is further emphasized, though, that it is not merely the deed, but the intent behind the deed that will further influence whether one is the recipient of good or bad karma. For example, if you did a good deed with 
bad intent, like helping somebody by giving them money so that you could have power over them, the bad intent would override the good action. Quote, the meaning of karma is in the intention. The intention behind the action is what matters. Those who are motivated only by desire for the fruits of action are miserable, for they are constantly anxious about the results of what they do. End quote. Bhagavad Gita. Interestingly, karma is also active in that which gives us pleasure. It implies love, sensuality and emotional fulfillment. It is not easy to pin down one single definition of karma. As varied as the religious groups are, so too are the interpretations of karma. What they all share, though, is the idea of action, and we will be exploring this in more detail a little further on. Quote, what you do, make it an offering to me. The food you eat, the sacrifices you make, the help you give, even your suffering. End quote. Bhagavad Gita. The Fetters of Freedom The final pillar is called Moksha, and it means emancipation or release. Here we see a core aspect of the axial mode. This is the quest towards liberation from suffering and freedom from attachment. In the spiritual sense, it is liberation from the cycle of death and rebirth. It is what the Buddhists call Nirvana. The everyday person uses it more in the sense of self-realization. It is a way of knowing oneself and one's limitations, having a deeper level of self-mastery. It is the self-knowledge that frees one from being buffeted by the constraints of self-doubt, thoughts about the importance of one's ego and the accretions of material goods through our conduct in the world. This principle is at the heart of the phrase non-attachment. Quote, They are forever free who renounce all selfish desires and break away from the ego cage of I, me, and mine. To be united with the Lord, this is the supreme state. Attain to this and pass from death to immortality. End quote. Bhagavad Gita. Moksha can be seen as a way to manage one's expectations by utilizing a philosophical construct that holds that all of our earthly manifestations are but temporary things. Everything undergoes change. Even the mountains and the landscape around us change from one second to the next. Moksha posits that constancy is an illusion because change may be so gradual that we do not notice it happening before our very eyes. This principle is more than just detachment from suffering, though. It is also viewed religiously as an attainment of salvation. It is said to result in a state of knowledge, peace and bliss, a oneness with the Supreme Self, with the Brahma, this transcendent state of being is called Paripurna Brahmanubhava. Quote, Those who know me as their own divine self break through the belief that they are the body and are not reborn as separate creatures. Such a one, Arjuna, is united with me. End quote. Bhagavad Gita. 
It is a space of so-called expanded consciousness where the individual gains the ability to see that which is real beyond the mists of ignorance and the clouds of illusion. The idea of expanded consciousness brings with it many questions. What exactly is consciousness? If it is expandable, does it occupy space? How does one measure expanded consciousness? Does a person who is able to decipher mathematical equations have a more expanded consciousness than one who cannot? Does a musical virtuoso have an expanded consciousness compared to someone who is, say, a master chef? Does a really good parent have a less expansive consciousness than a really good plumber? Would an ultimately enlightened being with an expanded consciousness have mastered all of these ways of knowing the world? Some would say it is about connecting to the source or seeing more of reality than others do. It appears that those who do not truly understand the principle of moksha may be caught in the trap of thinking that moksha is having something that others do not, and thus being superior or more advanced than others are. However, Vedanta philosophy cautions us that moksha is not something that is acquired or reached. Moksha is ever-present and exists in all. It is something that is revealed from within, not something discovered outside of the self. The less sophisticated view of moksha being an acquisition of some type has the axial mode operating in that type of sentiment. Quote, it is better to strive in one's own dharma than to succeed in the dharma of another. Nothing is ever lost in following one's own dharma. But competition in another's dharma breeds fear and insecurity. End quote. Bhagavad Gita. With these pillars in mind, let us explore the central questions posed in the Bhagavad Gita around the meaning of life. The story of the Bhagavad Gita, although populated by many actors, only has four characters, namely Arjuna, Lord Sri Krishna, Sanjaya and Dhritarashtra. Let us go and meet them.